We're going to keep making our way through Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at beginning in verse 22 this morning. And the city of Colossae was loaded, was located. Let me get my verbiage down here this morning. But the city of Colossae was located uh, in the Roman province of Asia Minor. And during that time, the time of the Apostle Paul, at least half of the people that would have been walking around the streets in Roman or major Roman cities were slaves. Now, whenever we hear that term slave or slavery, we automatically attach a very negative connotation to that, right? Like we, we, we hear that and we feel the sting of that as we should. Uh, slavery was dark, it was demonic, it was inhumane, it was brutal in the context that we know it. And the Word of God reaffirms this force. Look in your notes, Exodus 21 and verse 16. And he that stilleth a man and selleth him, or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. Man stilling, that type of slavery, was and is and always will be biblically immoral. Okay? That's, that's Bible. That was true in the Old Testament, and that is also true in the New Testament when we're talking about man-stealing. 1 Timothy chapter uh, 1, verses 8 to 10 reinforce that. But what we need to understand is that not all slavery was condemned in Scripture. And this is evident from what we see here in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 22. Paul wrote, servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service or as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it hardly as to the Lord and not unto men. For economic reasons primarily, not race, people became servants or slaves. But it was economics. If they were indebted to someone, they would sell themselves into slavery to work that debt or pay that debt off. In New Testament times, there were people who were of high-profile positions, doctors, lawyers, politicians, people of society like that who actually were slaves as well. Some people chose to be a slave as a way to have their provisional needs met. So we're not talking about man-stealing or selling people or anything like that. Again, this was economically driven. This is what Paul has in mind here. So from an applicational perspective, this portion of Colossians chapter 3 for us in America in 2021, now we're talking about the workplace. Now we're talking about employee-employer relationships. So look at it again. Servants, obey in all things your masters, or employees, obey in all things your masters, your managers, according to the flesh. Now, I wanted to share the story with you. I remember hearing this uh, some years ago now, but it was about a man who worked for a company, and, and one of the things that they wanted to do was they wanted to help employees uh, work better together with one another. So what they did was they had this exercise where um, people had to essentially describe their coworkers. 
So part of what they wanted to do was they wanted people to learn how they were projecting to others, how other people were viewing them, reading them, processing them, all of that. And so one of the gentlemen, he was very upset about some of the feedback that he was getting from this exercise. So his wife asked, she says, so what did they say? He goes, well, they said this and they said that. They said, I'm this way that I get irritated quickly or I'm impatient or whatever it might be. And so as she listened and when he was done, she goes, honey, I don't mean to offend you, but they were exactly right. That is how you come across sometimes. And whether you mean to or not, it's just I can see how people could read you that way. Not what he wanted to hear. The reality is we spend about one-third or 30% of our lives working. That's the truth. And that is enough time for people, listen, to get to know us. And to get to know us in ways that may surprise us, the things that they're reading. And here's the sober reality. This is a very sobering reality. One that we all have to get as believers in Jesus Christ. Listen, more than a few believers have hindered the gospel in the workplace. Why? Because of their testimony. Because of their testimony, they have hindered the gospel. The gospel cannot advance. The gospel cannot gain ground in that workplace because what people are hearing, seeing, and reading from the life of that believer, they're saying, I cannot hear the gospel from that person. And some believers have been viewed as hypocrites by the loss in the workplace, which disqualifies them from preaching the gospel now, Paul outlines for us, and I do believe that we understand as believers in Christ that we are what? We are ambassadors. We are, at least we are to be ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? We are to be heavenly representatives on earth with a mission. We understand that. And so what we want to do is, is we're in the workplace, and this is very critical. I think one of the things that we do have to settle is we have to settle how we view ourselves. Because typically, we, in the workplace, we view ourselves by our title. Listen, I don't care where you work or what you do. Before you are an engineer, before you are an accountant, before you are whatever, you are an ambassador first. You are an ambassador first. That's why you're there. That is the ultimate capacity that you are functioning in in the workplace. You are an ambassador. So let's talk about how we can be as effective as we can for the glory of Christ in the workplace as his ambassador. So it starts with submission. We have to submit. This is what Paul is getting at in verse 22. Servants, obey. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. And once again, we have looked at this word obey. It means to hear under. So now we're talking about subordination. Now, I beg you, I do, I plead with you to really listen to this next point. Because I am talking to everyone in this room, myself included, those viewing, listening, now, later, 
please, I need you to hear this very carefully. Americans typically possess a subtle disdain for submission. Americans typically possess a subtle disdain or pure hatred for submission. I do not like it. I do not want it. I will not accept it. I will reject it. I submit to no one. We love our opinions and we are passionate about our rights. And how dare you, how dare anyone try and bring me under them? But here's a problem for too many believers. They have yet to reconcile biblically that they are the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ at all times. They haven't done the spiritual math on that yet. And so in the biblical sense, listen very carefully, listen, servants do not have opinions. They do not have rights. Servants are not opinionated people, at least they were not historically. Right? We spent time walking through the Gospel of Mark. If you remember, we're talking about Christ in that book as the great servant of God. Well, one of the things that we do not find there in the beginning of Mark, we do not find what? A genealogy. Why? Because a servant has, does not have one. That's irrelevant to a servant. And so we've got to do the math on that. So to be an effective ambassador in the workplace as an employee, listen, we must be humble. We must be humble. Can I tell you, I believe deeply with everything in me that this is one of the biblical traits that I believe revolutionizes every human relationship that there is for the better. It turns it upside down. That relationship has to work now. You get two people, we just spent weeks talking about marriage and family. Listen, I'm telling you, you take two spouses who are humble, and they're going to have a marriage that glorifies God in the fullest, and it will be mutually edifying and satisfying. Humility wins. Listen, humility wins every time and pride loses every time if we would just get this. Humility wins every time and pride loses every time. Only by pride cometh what? Contention. That's a loss. That's a loss. Parents, we spent weeks looking at this. If I can say to you, as parents, we can be very fine hypocrites. I mean, we can be excellent hypocrites, the best. We say amen to verse 20, children obey your parents in all things. But then when we get to verse 22, we turn a deaf ear to what the Apostle Paul has given us. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. 
oh, wait a minute. No, I, I want my kids to obey me. They better obey me. I am their father. I am their mother. I want them to obey me. Yes, amen. The Bible says that. But you are a servant, aren't you? You are an employee, aren't you? Well, what does the Bible say to you? And then we get to work, and we're insubordinate. We give lip to our boss. We're difficult, unsubmitted. But my kids better obey me. Wow. Please hear this. The greatest hindrance to the gospel in the workplace is pride. This is the greatest hindrance. Pride. This ultimately is what hinders the gospel in the workplace. Listen, our message to those who are over us in the workplace, our message must be to that person or those people, our message must be, listen, I am here to work under you, work for you, and work with you. That's the message. I'm not here to challenge you. I'm not here to fight with you. I'm not here to war with you. I'm not here to make your job any more difficult than it already is. The last thing I ever want to be for you is a problem that you have to manage every day. The last thing I want is for you, when I walk through the door, is for you to take a deep breath because you were hoping I would call in sick today. Listen, God forbid, and I do mean God forbid, God forbid that Sam Miles would ever think to himself or have to ask himself, I wonder if Kenny recognizes that he reports to me. I never want Sam to think like that. I wonder, has he forgotten that I'm over him in the Lord? One of the things I have taught my son in particular is that, son, listen, you never want the guy who's over you to have to remind you that he's over you. You never want that. You don't. Listen, please, please, I beg you, would you get this? In life and in ministry, listen, there are people that we get to work with, and there are people we have to work with. Is that not true? There are people in life and in ministry that we get to work with, and then there are those that we have to work with. And we all know people like that, don't we? Like both. Listen, those that we get to work with, guess who they are? They're the humble. They're the humble. They're not outspoken, opinionated, difficult. They're humble. Wherever they are, they understand, listen, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I am only always a servant. 
So wherever I am, no one owes me anything. It's not about making sure that I'm happy and my needs are met and my rights are honored and respected. Servants don't think like that. The only expectation that servants possess is to serve. That's it. And so they are a treat, a delight to work with, walk with, in life and in ministry. Listen, these kind of people, listen, they are wonderful to be married to. <laughs> wonderful. But the prideful, these are those that we have to work with. These are the ones that we take deep breaths about that we've got to endure this meeting with them, that we've got to endure this conversation, that we've got to endure these hours together because they're just so very difficult. Nothing is downhill, nothing is easy. It's hard to get and gain agreement, like they're just difficult. And you start looking around saying, Lord, like, is there a way out? <laughs> you know what? It would absolutely crush me if Sam ever felt like I have to work with Kenny. I have to work with him. He's just so stubborn and difficult and opinionated, and he doesn't listen. He just wants to be heard. It's got to be his way or no way. Who wants to work with anyone like that? You know what? No manager or leader ever wants to feel like they're trying to lead a mule. What are mules known for? Stubborn. Difficult. I get it. They're actually very intelligent animals. I understand that research, but... I think their intelligence kind of wipes out a little bit because it's like what you're so, at the end of the day, is stubborn. And let me tell you how this plays out or has played out in more than a few work settings. So you'll have a Christian there who's a mule. And they go to a church, maybe like this one, and we're doing some type of outreach, some type of big maybe Christmas, Easter event, and then here comes a Christian mule to their manager and their fellow co-workers and saying, well, hey, we're having this big thing at church this Easter or this Christmas or whatever it might be, and I'd love for you and your family to come. And guess what that manager and those co-workers are doing? They're just trying to maintain a straight face. They are. Because here's this person who is only difficult to lead and work with, who is actually now professing to be or associating themselves with Christianity. And they're like, are you kidding me? You're a Christian? <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> and about now, because of how we are as Americans, we are thinking to ourselves, yeah, but you don't understand what I deal with at work. My man, they cuss and they do ungodly things. Listen, if you haven't reconciled this yes, let me, yeah, let me help you. Listen, lost people 
think lost thoughts, say lost things, and they do lost things because they are lost. It is not only unreasonable, but it is very foolish of you to have spiritual or biblical expectations of a lost person who does not have the indwelling of the Holy Ghost or adhere to the Word of God. What would you expect from them? It's just unreasonable. What you're missing, though, is that's why you are there. But an insubordinate approach does not help anything. Brothers and sisters, listen very carefully. I get it. You are an ambassador, and you want to be effective, and you want to preach the gospel, and you want to win people to Christ in the workplace. Let me show you how to do that. You ready? Let me show you. Listen. Start work on time. Get to work on time consistently. Consistently work hard and well. Do your work well. Work hard, be accountable, and do not make excuses for why things are not getting done. Honor those who are over you. Honor them. I'm not advocating compromising or selling out. You can honor them without doing that. Respect your coworkers. Respect them. Be courteous. Be considerate. Be kind. Be patient. Be helpful. And study to be quiet. The last thing any company needs is a loudmouth, opinionated Christian. Then they will listen. Then they will listen. And what some are hearing in all that is, you just want me to be a yes man. That's what you're saying. Actually, that's not what I'm saying because that's not what the Bible is saying. Keep going in verse 22. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Eye service. So the boss is watching me right now, so I better work. I better work hard and I better work well. But the minute I don't perceive that he or she is watching me, well then, okay. I just go back to my carnal ways. Listen very carefully. That always catches up with you eventually. And when it does, that's when the excuses start that your boss doesn't want to hear. They're not paying you for excuses. They're paying you for results. So get the job done. And we're not to be man-pleasers as well. The definition of that word is found in the word itself. This is someone who's trying to please man, not God. So, to glorify God in the workplace, be genuine. Be genuine. Be the real deal. Those who only work when they're being watched, or if they're a yes man or a yes woman, they're not genuine. They're disingenuous. They are. And listen, being disingenuous is another hindrance to the gospel. Lost people might be lost, but they're not as dumb and slow as we think they are sometimes. They can spot a fake and a fraud very quickly. Why? Because they're, they're watching you eight hours a day, five days a week. 
And over time, it becomes very difficult to hide who you really are. We want to have the kind of testimony that Joseph had in the workplace. As you look at it, Genesis 39, beginning in verse 4, and Joseph found grace in his sight, that's Potiphar, and he served him. You want to preach the gospel? You want to be effective? You want people to hear? Submit. Serve. And he served him. And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the, and the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field, and he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. Joseph walked with God intimately, and because of that, he was a man of godly character. This is why he was humble and genuine in the workplace. He was a trusted man because his character said he could be. How he, hand, how he handled himself, how he conducted himself said, yes, I am someone that can be trusted. I am someone that can be entrusted. Listen, when you start making excuses, talking behind the backs of your manager and your coworkers, all that does is fuel the disingenuous narrative about you. That's all it does. All it does is say, you know what? That is someone that you cannot trust. That is someone that you don't need to listen to, pay attention to, because you know what? They're a fake and a fraud. We're talking about your character. So the question is, do you have a trustworthy testimony in the workplace? Does your character say that you're someone that people can trust? Does your character say that you're someone that should be heard? Do you understand? I promise you, if you are a manager, I know some of you are, if you are a manager, you get this, but I promise you, every manager in the workplace has different trust levels for all the people they manage. If you are a manager, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And guess what? It's the testimony of the person that determines to the extent that they could be trusted. Every time. So guess what? When someone is consistently late to work, and they always make excuses for why their work is not done, and they always point fingers, and they get defensive all the time, this is someone that, you know what, your manager says, well, okay. I promise you, if an opportunity comes where I can let you go, I will. I will. I do not enjoy working with you. I don't want to work with you. I want you out. Most importantly, though, it determines to what extent your manager and coworkers are open to hearing the gospel from you. The greater your trust level is, the greater opportunity you have for the gospel. The lower it is, just keep your mouth shut. 
Paul goes on to say, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. So single is a synonym of one, the word one. So here we're talking about having one overall focus, and that is pleasing God. So listen, to glorify God as ambassadors in the workplace, we must be focused. We must be focused, listen, not on how much money we can make or how fast we can climb the ladder. Not on that. Our ultimate focus must be on pleasing the Lord. This is why we submit. All through this whole section of Scripture, why do we submit? Why do we submit as wives? Why is it that husbands are to love their wives and not be bitter against them? Why is it that children obey their parents in the Lord? Because it is well-pleasing to the Lord. That's why. Brothers and sisters, once again, I implore you, as American believers, in a Laodicean spiritual world to get this. Biblical submission always pleases God. Biblical submission always pleases God. If you are like the typical American and you're going to dig your hills in, and you're going to stand your ground, and you're going to make your point, and you're going to defend your point, and no one's going to tell you what to do, and you're not going to listen, and you're not going to submit no matter what. You're going to hold out if it kills you. Let me tell you where that is going very south and how that is choking you to death spiritually. Listen. You cannot walk with God, you cannot win with God, and you cannot glorify God with that heart attitude. That is pride, and it is nauseous to God. God says, I hate that. I hate that. I hate that pride in you. God says, I hate a proud look. I hate it. God says, that must die. That's got to go. If you're going to walk with me, if you're going to please me, you must understand that biblical submission pleases me. God says, I don't want to hear your opinions. I don't want to hear about your rights. What I want is I want you to obey me according to my word. No excuses. Well, you don't understand, God. My husband and my kids or my boss, this, this is, I <sighs> obey. Humility wins. Pride loses every time and some of us are losing because we're fighting for our rights because we're so led to sin to the core I will die before I submit you are dying you are dying 
when you agree with God that biblical submission pleases him, now you can not only deal with an unreasonable boss, you can win. Now, to strengthen the importance of all of this, look at what Paul, boy, <laughs> would you look at what Paul attaches to this, guys? Look at verse 23. And whatsoever ye do, do it hardly as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And there is no respect of persons. Who is it that we are ultimately working for? Verse 23 tells you, as to the Lord. This isn't about this woman or this man who you report to. It's not about them at all. It's about the Lord. But in verse 24, what did Paul do? He attached the judgment seat of Christ to this. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. You might not get the raise or the promotion that you desire, or maybe you have rightfully earned. But guess what? The Lord's servants are rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. This is your focus. Your focus isn't monetary. Your focus isn't on the carnal mammon of this world. Listen, I get it. I have great respect, understanding for the principles of Proverbs. There is a sowing and reaping. Listen, if you are diligent, you work hard, there are blessings. So I get that. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, that's not your bottom line, is it? Your bottom line is the judgment seat of Christ that he would be glorified. That's it. And here's what we must understand. In the workplace, our focus then must be on pleasing the Lord and finishing well at the judgment seat of Christ. That's the focus. That's the focus. In the workplace, I don't care what you do, where you work, who you report to, your focus as an ambassador, I want to please the Lord and I want to finish well at the judgment seat of Christ for his glory. This isn't about this boss. This isn't about me. This is about your glory. But get this. At the judgment seat of Christ, no excuses from servants will be accepted. So let's just stop doing that now. He doesn't want to hear it. Look at verse 25. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he had done, and there is no respect of persons. This is what I'm saying. God does not want to hear the excuses. God doesn't want to hear all the reasons why we just couldn't do what the Bible commanded us to do because of this person or this situation or this circumstance. God says, listen, trust me. At the judgment seat of Christ, you won't even want to waste your time. So if that's not going to work then, how about we do away with it now? Would you look at verse 1 of chapter 4 as we make our way down the home stretch here? 
masters. Give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, when you get to this verse, the first question, I I don't like this, but this is the way it is. The first question that arises is, why do we find this verse at the beginning or the opening of chapter 4 and not at the end of chapter 3, right? People say, well, it just makes sense. That's where it should have been done. And so now all the critics come out and start correcting this, that, and the other. Obviously, chapter divisions and Bible verses were not a part of the original manuscripts. We should understand that. And those were all added later. And I think we would say amen, and we are grateful that they were, correct? All right. But many do critique it. Now, let me just tell you this. This is very, very critical. And I, uh, you know, an underlying theme of what we're talking about today is we're talking a lot about pride. Let me caution you. Let me warn you. You absolutely never want to get into the habit of correcting the Bible. And once again, in the spirit of our American arrogance, the more education I have, the more entitled I believe I am to do that. I am telling you before God, that is as dangerous as it is arrogant. You do not want to do that. I had to learn, and I'm still, God reminds me of this as he sees fit. But one of the things I had to learn in walking with God is just because I don't understand something or agree with it does not mean that they're wrong and I'm right. That's very arrogant processing. Some of us have not learned this yet. Ultimately, I will tell you this. I am not the final or ultimate authority on the placement of this verse. What matters is it is no less inspired, nor does it change anything in the book. Now, if I can be objective, I think when you consider the context of Colossians chapter 4, which we are heading to, it makes perfect sense. Why is that? Well, here you go. The context of Colossians chapter 4 is ministry through servant leadership. That's the context of Colossians chapter 4. Masters are leaders. They are. And Paul was giving them instructions on how to lead. So as you keep making your way through this chapter, Paul is going to get into this very long list of ministers, leaders. And so when you look at that, this verse makes perfect sense in terms of why it is at the head of the chapter. Now, that's my take, and that's from what I've studied, and I've prayed, and I I, I can't miss what I see in the chapter. But would you notice the first word that follows masters in verse 1? What is it? Say it out loud. Give. Give. We talked about the Gospel of Mark earlier, that great book about Christ as the great servant of God. And man, I love it. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give. 
his life a ransom for me. Listen, and this is going to be contrary once again. Uh, the Word of God, time and time again, in several places, is so very contrary to our arrogant, puffed-up American way of thinking and living, especially when it comes to leadership. Understand, true leadership is about serving and giving. That's true leadership. True leadership is not about being served and being given to. True leadership is about serving and giving. It's not about how many people you can have around you who are meeting your every want and need. That's not true leadership in the biblical context. No, true leadership is always about serving and giving. And these instructions, listen, would have been radical to masters at the time. Because once again, servants were not owed anything. <laughs> No, they owed everything. <laughs> and how easy would it have been for masters to say, well, you know what? I'm the master. You're the slave. You will do what I say. Paul says, that's not how we're going to do this. What Paul taught us here is, listen, leadership does not, listen, please, <laughs> leadership never gives us a license to abuse people. Leadership does not give us permission to run roughshod in people's lives. It doesn't grant us permission to take on a God complex. I'm the this and you're not that, so I'm over you and you will do what I say. That's not godly leadership. This is what Paul gets at in Ephesians 6, 9. Ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening. In other words, no bullying allowed. I don't get to dominate you and treat you like dirt because I have a higher position. I have a bigger paycheck. I'm the husband. You will bow and obey me. No. Instead, it gives us a platform to serve people. That's what it does. So leaders, masters, serve. And Paul made it clear how we serve well. Listen very carefully. Leaders serve well by dealing with their subordinates righteously. That's how leaders serve well. They serve well by dealing with their subordinates righteously. He says... Give unto your servants that which is just and equal. Those are righteous terms. Be fair. Be equitable. As a leader, that's how you deal with people. If you have people who report to you, you absolutely be for God. For his glory and for their edification, you must deal with them righteously. You do not mistreat them, and you absolutely do not cheat them. More than a few Christian business owners have absolutely wrecked their testimony because of how they deal with people when it comes to money. How they have cut corners, how they have cheated them, and people go, and you are a Christian? No, I'll pass. 
Paul went on to say, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Guess what? You're accountable too. You will give an account too. As I close, understand, managers in the workplace earn gospel opportunities by walking and dealing with others righteously. How you walk as a leader, as a manager, if it's righteous, you will have doors and people will listen. But if you're full of pride and this is all about you and you're going to step on people and you're going to dominate people, well, okay. They will plug their ears because you too will be viewed by them as a fake and a fraud that they don't want to listen to. Lord, I want to thank you for your word. We know that whenever it is open, you speak. I do pray that we have heard and received what you have said today for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.